Um, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to carry on in Galatians chapter 5. And we're just going to read from verses 13 to the end of the chapter, and then I'll open in prayer. We read this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Today we're going to look at three things regarding not only our relationship with Jesus, but also our relationship with each other. And as we open in a word of prayer, I pray that God would minister to our hearts to see what it means to not only live in the Spirit, but to live in freedom that the Spirit provides as well. Bow your head with me and we'll pray. Father, as we sang this morning, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, and my all. Father, you gave your all for us so that we might come to know you as our Father, as our God, and as our Savior. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his sacrifice, we can be made new. In his resurrection, we can be made secure. In his sovereignty, we can be made strong. So we ask now as we look into your word, you will minister to our hearts. Please open our eyes to see. Please help us to hear your voice as we look into the scriptures. Please help us to understand and know what it means to live in the spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to look at three things. Now, when I was playing rugby, my coach was the coach of the Auckland under-19s. And his name, was, his name was Buddy. I think Buddy Casper, I think was his full name. I can't quite remember his last name, but his name was Buddy. And what was interesting is Buddy, as one of his 
analogies that he would give to us in the, in the club rooms was this. He said, potential is a rubbish word. And we're like, well, what do you mean? I said, because you can have someone that's full of potential, someone that has a skill level, but they're full of potential, but if they fail to reach their potential, then they'll never fully get to realize who they are or what they're capable of. Hence, potential can be a rubbish word. The reason why I start off with such an analogy is because if you replace that word potential with the word calling, it sort of fits along those same lines. Because today we're going to look at three things. The first being one's calling, looking at verses 13 through to 15 of Galatians chapter 5. And we start off in verse 13 with this really interesting word. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And he says, do not, do, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. See, you've got this address of you. It's personal. Now, now, granted, we aren't experiencing the same sorts of things that are taking place in Galatia at this particular time. Just like the people in Galatia are not experiencing the same sorts of things that are taking place with us in the 21st century. But that whole idea of you is the idea of, irrespective of what's taking place, the theological truths that we've been looking at over the past four chapters are just as applicable to us now, today, than it was for them back then. You see, we are set free and we are instructed not to return to the yoke of slavery as Alison shared from verse one. We are called to stand firm in that freedom which Christ has made us free in. But as touched on here, we're reminded of the instruction to not only stand firm, but it's to stand firm in what we have been called to. We have been called to be free. We have been made free, therefore we should live free. Much like that word potential. This is where we are or what, what, is, what we are capable of, and yet we live down here. Now the context of this verse is that you have been called to be free. We are free from sin's bondage. We are free from sin's power. We are free of sin's slavery. And the thing is this, it's not up here. It's where we are right now because it's given to us in Christ. It's not something we attain. It is something we already have in Christ. We are, present tense, free. We have been called to be free. The question is, none of us are living that way. Well, not none of us. Please forgive me. That's, that's been very presumptuous. A majority of us aren't living as free men. You see, freedom is our God-given right in Jesus Christ. We have been set free, set free to follow him, set free to serve him, set free to know him, set free to honor him, to worship him, to praise him. We have been set free now which is the first exhortation for you and I, live as free men and women. Live as free. Because this address 
the fact that we've been called to be free, it follows straight, it is followed by an exhortation which I think many of the 21st century church has completely forgotten or has completely dismissed or has completely ignored. The rest of the verse says this, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. We have been set free to worship, set free to serve, set free to honor, set free to know God. Do not use that freedom to indulge your own fleshly desires, your own lusts, your own wants. This line has been repeated several times over the past few weeks, that our freedom in Christ, paid for by His blood, purchased with his life, secured by his resurrection, is not an avenue made available for us so we can do what we want, so we can live how we want, how we can freely sin, because that cheapens grace. That cheapens grace. We read this a little further on, that we do not frustrate, frustrate the grace of God. It's not done so I can accommodate my disobedience. If one professes to be a Christian and thinks in this mindset, I'm going to go deliberately sin because I know God will forgive me. I'm going to deliberately be disobedient because I know God is a God of grace and forgiveness. I'm going to go dabble in sin or make choices in my life that are completely contradictory to the Word of God because I know God is a God of love and a God of goodness. If you have that mindset regarding the grace of God that's been bestowed upon you, then I would question whether you truly know the grace of God. I would question whether you truly know Jesus Christ. Because if you do something like that to think, I've been given so much, it's like me getting married to my wife, saying, I'm a married man, I love my wife, and then I cheat on her day after day after day after day. Then you would question my loyalty to my wife. You would question my relationship with my wife. You'd say, he's not much of a husband, and he's not much of a man. Because it is evident by the justification that we do for our sinful decisions. So I would question that. It is not done so, so we can indulge the flesh. For the love of God in Christ is such that one does not seek their own desires, but the desires of God. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning He will give you His desires, He will give you His heart, He will give you His mind for the things of God. Thus, instead of indulging one's flesh, what happens? If you look at the rest of the verse, it says, rather serve one another and humbly in love. You see, if the Spirit of Christ resides within, then that same, that same Spirit is manifest in our desire to serve one another, our desire to be others-focused. And you know this, I've said this so many times over the years, love, the love of God, the agape love, the loving benevolence, it is outward-focused. It looks at what I can do for you, what I can do to bless you, what I can do, because that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ manifests to us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that we see that love gives. And we see it evident in Matthew 20, verse 28, when Jesus explained His example in the following manner, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom 
for many. Notice, it is outward focus. It is others' focus, for that is what true love does. If the Spirit of Christ resides in you, then you would love to serve one another in love. We have to do so humbly, humbly, in humility, manifest service. The, the, the manifest service is done so in the same manner of what the Lord Jesus manifests to us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He brought himself down to our level in order to bring us up to his level, to bring us up to God's level. Such is the grace of God. It is done so in humility. You remember that quote by C.S. Lewis? Uh, humility or being humble is not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's, about, it's, not, it's not belittling yourself. It's seeing yourself in the right context in connection with who Jesus Christ is, done so in humility and in love. Love that is patient, love that is kind, love that is not proud, it does not boast, it isn't envious, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. It, what is it? it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, according to 1 Corinthians 13. If the Spirit of Christ resides within us, if we who profess to be Christians are truly born again by His Spirit, then we would manifest that Spirit in our service of one another, in humility and in love. Aspects of our new nature that we can only show because the Spirit of life is present in us. Because when the Spirit of Christ, wherever the Spirit of life is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17 and the reason why such liberty exists is because of the practical outworking of, of living by the Spirit, of, of walking in the Spirit, and of obedience to the Spirit. And it's confirmed by the fulfillment of God's law as the Spirit works through us. Because you read this in verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The fulfillment of God's law is, is manifest in our love for each other and our love for God. You'll notice that the first commandment's not there. It's actually the second one. You know, the first commandment when, when asked and Jesus said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, that you love others as yourself. The reason why Paul only mentions the second one here and not the first is because the assumption is made that everybody's already in that position. The assumption is made that as the people of God, we're already loving Him. That as children of Jesus Christ, we're already knowing Him. That as His church, we're already in that position of committing our all to Him. And if we have truly committed our all to Him, that is demonstrated in our love for each other. How shall all men know that we're His disciples? By our love for one another, we're told in John. That's why Paul only mentions the first one. And you see this outworking when you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, when he says that we have fellowship with others, and then we have fellowship with Christ as well. So you have this reality, and, and you'll notice throughout this passage, there are all these contrasts. And so we have this contrast of, of having the love 
fulfilled, the, the law fulfilled through our love for one another. And then you have this contrast with how we conduct ourselves as people in verse 15. And it says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, looking at the context of the Galatian church, they were looking at legalism. And this is what legalism can do. It can result in the biting at others. And it can result in us picking at others because we have this standard that we've, we've set up as being God's word or the standard of being God's law when it's not. It's something we've created. And when, say, Uncle Suling doesn't measure up to my standard, I snap at him. Or Ben doesn't measure up to my standard of rules, I snap at him. And I start all this snapping. Snap, snap, snap. And I take a little bite here and a little bite there and a little bite there. And before you know it, when I bite at USL and Uncle Sun Ling, he bites back at me. Who does Joe think he is? He's got no hair. You know, what, you know what I mean? And you just bite here and you bite there and you bite. And it's just all this biting. When such biting takes place, what happens? You start eating away at everybody else because it's done so in the flesh. You want to know what some of this biting is? And I've seen this. Gossip. Gossip is this biting gossip that can spread around the church in the name of spirituality. And we see this. If you're talking about someone else in the church, and it's not for the purpose of drawing them closer to Jesus Christ, if you're talking about somebody else in the church and you're never gonna confront that person to draw them closer to Christ or to call them out with their sin or, or to edify them and to build them up. If you're talking with some, about somebody else in the church with another person and there's nothing that's gonna be God glorifying in that conversation, then you are in sin. You're not being a blessing to the church, you're being a curse. You're not being an encouragement, you're being a discouragement. You're not being built, you're not building up, you're tearing down. That's what takes place. That's the biting, that's the devouring. And you might call it sharing, but it's not sharing, it's called gossip. And the crazy thing is, I hear this, I see this, I've confronted this. <coughs> Pardon me. I've confronted this. And, and, and then when you confront it, there are people that get offended, there are people that get hurt, but if it's not confronted, if it's not dealt with, if it's not nipped in the bud, what's the next step? A complete devouring of each other, a complete destruction that takes place within the body of Christ. If you look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, and it talks about these six things the Lord hates, yea, the seven is an abomination to him, the seventh thing, the seventh thing is what? He that sows discord among the brethren. He that gossips about their brothers and sisters in Christ. He that talks about backbites. That's, that's an abomination to the Lord. That is sin. And it's what the enemy, and please, please don't take offense to this. But if you're doing that, if you're sowing discord among the brethren, you are doing the work of the devil. You're doing the work of the enemy because you're sowing discord in the body of Christ. You're causing division when he seeks unity. You're causing confusion when he desires order. That's what takes place. And then you have all that stuff that happens, you know, battle lines are drawn, factions are created, and then, then ugliness ensues. And then people start using or, or falling into the, the works of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. It is why verse 16, if, if, if one's calling is to be free, meaning free of gossip, 
free of lust, free of desire. Not, not saying that you're going to be completely holy or anything like that, but you're, you're looking at things divine, having your affection set on things above. When your calling is fulfilled, the way that calling is maintained is found in verses 16 through to 24. One's walking. One's walking. You see the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. I actually like the term walk in the Spirit because it makes reference to being immersed. It makes reference to being surrounded. By can imply someone next to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I prefer the term walking in the Spirit. And I think this is for a lot of us as Christians, what we desire to have in each of our individual Christian lives, to be men and women of God who are governed by the Spirit, men and women of God who are so in tune with the Spirit that when we hear His voice, we respond accordingly. And you hear testimonies of this continually. I remember one man who was, in a, who was a missionary who was visiting in Africa, and he was driving in the middle of nowhere and the Spirit spoke to his heart and said, stop here. And so he stopped, and he prayed, and he says, Lord, I'm, oh, I want to hear your voice. And he goes, walk over this ridge. So he walked over the ridge. When he crossed the ridge, there was a village there. He walks into the village, and a village person approached him and says, are you here to tell us about this one called Jesus? And he was like, yes. And then sat down and then shared the gospel. So we hear stuff like that, and we, we look at that and think, wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's, that's, that's fabulous. That's great. You know what? That's supposed to be the rule of thumb, not the exception. That's supposed to be us as the children of God, not something unusual that's not experienced. You see this as you look through the Scriptures. You see Paul walking by the Spirit when he was stopped to go to Bithynia in Acts 16.7. Or when you look at how the Spirit reproves the world of, for its incorrect view of sin, of righteousness and judgment in John 16. Or, or how the Spirit speaks uh, and, of Jesus Christ. And, and you look all through, all through church history, you look all through the Word of God, and you see men and women who walk in the Spirit. Whether it be the likes of, say, George Mueller, the man of prayer, who as he spent time in prayer had God provide continually for the orphanages that he ran for the glory of God. You read about Charles Finney, who would go with a couple of other friends, go into towns and spend days praying that the Spirit would move in those towns, even before he had any meetings. There's one story of Charles Finney going in where a lady was there, smiled at him, he looked at her, and the spirit of conviction fell on her so much that she repented and came to know Jesus right there and then. These men and these women who walked in the spirit, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, or Martin Lloyd-Jones, who through the faithful preaching of the word was led by the spirit as amazing tools to bless the body of Christ. And you read it over and over and over again of, of missionaries, of ministers, of mothers who walked at the prompting of the Spirit and witnessed the miraculous take place. 
as they, as they heard the voice of God, as they responded to his leading, the likes of Helen Roosevelt, Amy Carmichael, or Susanna Wesley, of David Livingston, or Frederick Douglass, or, or Jan Hus, all these men and women of God who came to know the joy and the freedom and excitement of waiting and walking in the Spirit. A joy and excitement and freedom that we look for. And you know what's crazy? That we can know too that we can experience too. I know you want to experience it. I know I want to experience it. I know that I want to be walking in the Spirit so when God says, Joe, do this, I'll say, yes, Lord, I hear you, and I go. It's exemplified in church history. It's exemplified throughout Scripture. So what is it about these men and women? Why did they get to experience some of those things that we consider to be lacking in our hearts and in our lives? Three things I want to look at just very quickly. One, They were Christians. They were Christians. I know this sounds basic, but you cannot walk in the Spirit if you don't actually have the Spirit dwelling within you. You must know Jesus Christ because it is the Spirit that renews us. It is the Spirit who dwells in us. It is the Spirit that bears witness to our spirit that we are the sons and daughters of God. It is the Spirit that seals us. Thus, the necessity of the Spirit being present first is required before we can actually walk in Him. You have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first thing, as basic as it is, which means that for everybody watching, for everybody at home, you need to come before the Lord, am I truly your child? Do I know you as my Lord and as my Savior? And when God reveals to you that answer, you and I would have the courage to respond accordingly. If he says to you, no, then you need to repent. You need to throw yourself at the mercy of God, look at the cross and ask him to save you from your sin. And then you need to repent of that sin. And then if he says yes, then you need to ask him to reveal to you what sin is in your life preventing you from experiencing the fullness of his spirit, of walking in the spirit. So that's the first thing. You've got to be a Christian. If you want to walk in the spirit, you've got to be a Christian. Second thing, These people knew the Word of God, something that we need to be continually reminded of. See, we, this book, this book, it is a spiritual book. This book has a spiritual author. This book holds spiritual truths regarding our spiritual existence, and it it communicates to us who our God is, who is who, who is what? He is spirit. The flesh cannot know the spirit. The temporal cannot know the eternal. We have our eyes opened by the spirit, which means this, another basic thing, know the word of God. Spend time in the word. Spend time meditating because I've shared it in the last few weeks as well. This is more than just a book to read words on a page. This leads you to a person. This reveals a person a person who wants to know you and desires to know you. This is what the Spirit 
reveals to us from the Scriptures. But it's more than just knowing knowledge. I know a lot of people who know the Word of God and their lives are unchanged. I know a lot. Look at the Pharisees. Look at religious people who know the Bible inside and out, and yet there's no spiritual awakening. So it's more than just knowing it. The third thing is this. You obey it. You obey it. You're a Christian. You know the Word, and you obey the Word. You obey it. He says in John 14, 15, what? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. And the thing is this, we're the one that benefits from it. In our obedience, in our response to the word, it leads us to experience the fullness of God's provision, the fullness of God's blessing. And obeying, there's a, a change that takes place. There's that renewing of our minds that happens in Romans 12 too. Obedience that leads us to righteousness, according to Romans 6, 16. And, 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 and there's a submission to this word because they're not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3. The, the word of God here is not to be a burden that's like, that weighs us down. No, it's, it's not to weigh us down. It, it never weighs us down. What? It sets us free. The Word of God liberates us because it tells us where we need to be going. Thus, when the Spirit is present in our hearts and the knowledge of the Word that He authored, we can be assured that as we walk in obedience to His Word willingly, even when we don't feel like, when we walk according to His Word willingly, walking in the Spirit can begin to occur because our minds are filled with His Word. Walking in the Spirit can happen because we know how we're supposed to be walking. Thus, His mind, His values, His Word can be lived out. Because the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. Why? Because the Spirit wrote it. The Spirit wrote the Word. So knowing what the Word of God has to say is what the Spirit of God uses in our lives to mold our minds, to shape our lives, to conform our personalities to the image of Christ. But if we're not reading the Word, well, the Spirit of God's got nothing to use. The Spirit of God has nothing to latch onto within your conscience. One of my favorite quotes, and I've used it before, and I think it's, I think it's great. Art Kent Hughes said this, you cannot have a Christian mind without reading the Scriptures daily because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. You cannot have a Christian mind without reading the Scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. And that is why the contrast once again is revealed in verse 16. See, Walking in the Spirit will enable us not to gratify the lusts of the flesh. I remember teaching this in a Sunday school. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Okay? I'll teach it to you sometime. Okay? But it's true. You have this here. If you walk in the Spirit, what happens? Your desires change. As you walk in the Spirit, and according to His Word, your goals change. As you walk in the Spirit in accordance with His Word, your values change. You start prioritizing different things. You start viewing things differently because you're looking at it from the lens of God's Word by the Spirit. 
But how can you walk in the Spirit if you don't know what this is? How can you walk in the Spirit if you don't know what the heart of God says? That's why you need to spend this, because you read this contrast. Yeah, you won't fulfill the last flesh, but in verse 17, we read this. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. What I want as Joe, as sinful Joe, as immature Joe, as fleshly Joe, is in direct contradiction to what the Spirit wants for me. When I don't feel like reading the Word, that's my flesh. The Spirit desires me to get into the Word. When I don't feel like praying, that's my flesh, where the Spirit is desiring me to enter into His presence. When I don't feel like calling somebody up or seeing people, that's my flesh. When the Spirit desires me to build one another up in love. Once again, there's the Lord's way for victory, walking in the Spirit, walking in the Word, walking in obedience to that Word, and then our natural desires that are completely contrary to Him, contrary to that. That's why we can't do what we want. That's why we can't just do whatever we feel. Can you imagine, can you imagine If you look at your Christian life, if you just responded to how you felt, then you just responded to whatever you felt like doing. Imagine how much trouble you would get into. You're at work. Jimmy, I need you to do this. I don't feel like it. Brad, I need you to go here. I don't feel like it. Eva, I want you to teach this. I don't feel like it. Then you're all fired. Simple as that. We don't do it because we feel, we do it because it has what God says in His Word for us to do. Eva will teach what she teaches as long as it honors God. Brad will, will, will respond how he responds because it honors God. Jimmy will obey what's been asked of him because he wants to honor God. Not, it's not dependent. We're told to walk by faith, not by sight. You see, the truth is, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Because the Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. The Spirit has set you free from the law and the bondage that is. The the truth that says, sorry, the truth that says evidence for the Spirit's presence is the bearing of His fruit and the living for things above and freedom from sin's hold and freedom from sin's cravings. Because those holds and those cravings have been overcome through Jesus Christ. And we see this evident in verses 22 to 24. We read this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And you'll notice the difference. If you have a look in verses 19 through to 21, I won't read it out. 19 through 21, which is the acts of the flesh or the works of the flesh, and being contrasted with verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. You'll notice how, what what does fruit do? Fruit grows. What do works do? Works are chosen. You'll notice that fruit is natural and that works are manufactured. You'll notice that fruit is in relation to the promise of what God gives us, whereas Works is in obedience to a law. Have a look at 
Galatians 4, verse 21 through to 31. But this is another area where we fall short. We seek to live our Christian life based on a decision made on the past. I became a Christian in January 1991, and that's it. I don't have to do anything else. I became a Christian way back when, 30, 40, whatever, how many years ago. And we think that that's the end of it. When we become a Christian, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and have our souls renewed, that's not the end of the journey, that's the beginning. That's not the end of a struggle, that's the beginning of a struggle. It's only just begun, because we, we've been born again, we're set free, we're spiritually gifted, we're divinely sanctified, we have our citizenship transformed, we have our nature renewed. All of this is the beginning of our new life in Christ. And once established, as we have responded to that calling and seek to walk in the Spirit, we are then charged to continue, or what I like to call our keeping. Our keeping. Now, I can't dance a waltz, okay? I've seen, I've seen like I remember Aaron and Amanda at their wedding, which was on Jono's birthday. So Aaron and Amanda, when they got married on Jono's birthday, um, and they did this lovely waltz. I saw Mel and, and Ben and, and a lot of people here who got married who, who went waltzing. And I, I sort of had a look. I looked online. How does one waltz? And you got the old box step and, and all that sort of stuff. That's about the only sort of phrase that I know. But there's this one line that I really liked as I was reading the instructions. Now, I'm not going to waltz for you. I'm not going to ask my wife to come down here and, and waltz with me. But um, I like this one line. It says this. You have, you have the lead. So you have the lead, which is usually the man. And then you have, this is the language that they used, you have the follow, which is usually the woman. That as the man leads, the woman follows. And this is the line that I like. It says, allow the lead to guide you. Use the follow's steps, beginning with your right foot back and ending with your left foot placed next to your right foot. All right. So there we go. That's as much as I know how to waltz. I can take one step. Okay. I've probably got my hands wrong too. I don't know. Okay. But what I like is this. So two people waltzing to the rhythm of the music at the same time, whereby when one moves, the other moves in step with them. They don't use the same steps. So when one right foot goes back, the woman's left foot, the follow, the left foot goes forward. And they move in sync to the music. Although they move differently, they move totally in sync with each other. They know their role. They each know how they are to move, and they each know the rhythm in which one is to step in. The reason why I start with this is because when we read in verse 25, we read this. Since we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I'm not really going to focus on verse 26. Once again, it's that contrast being keeping in step with the Spirit or conceited, provoking, and envying. Okay, I want to focus on verse 25. You see, for us to keep in step with the Spirit means that He is in the lead and we're to follow. As He steps, we step with Him. As he guides, we respond to him and to his directions. As he sets the pace, we are swept up by his sufficiency, which means this. We have to become 
more proficient at seeing his movements, getting a feel for his leading, and responding to his direction. But how was that done? How was that done? For us to keep in step with the Spirit, how do we do that? We do that by firstly knowing his word. I know that's so basic. I know that's so basic. And I know I sound like a, a broken record. But knowing his word, by obeying his word, and by submitting to his word. Like I said, apparently, apparently, in a, in a waltz, if I know what the steps are, okay, I know one back, and then you and the box step, and you go forward, and then you'll go across again. There you go. A basic, I hope that's right. If not, I'm, I'm sorry. But if I know those steps, if I know where I'm supposed to be stepping, and I know the music that I'm listening to of when to step and how to step, when I fall into that rhythm, then one, it makes it easier for the person that I'm with, and it looks really good. So too, in the scriptures, we have been given the steps to take. We've been given the instruction of where to go, of how to go, and in what way to go. That as the Spirit uses the instructions given to us, as He moves, we respond. As He directs, we follow. That's what, he's, he's the lead. We're the ones that are to follow, which means we need to know what the steps are. The steps have been given to us within the pages of Scripture. For us to know, oh, this is where he's going. This is what he's doing. For us to be, this is so we are better able to move in line with him. It's better able to keep in step with where he's going because we're walking in his spirit. We know where he's going and we know what he's doing and we know how he's going to do it. One of the lecturers at college, Trevor McElwain, he said this, if you want to know what the will of God is in your life, Find out what God is doing and join Him in that work. You want to know the will of God in your life? Find out what God is doing through you in your job, through you in your marriage, through you as a parent, through you in the church, through you in your neighborhood, through you in your community. Find out what God is doing and join Him in that work. Or in other words, keep in step with the Spirit moving. You know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you know what we are to do? Well, we're to keep in step with him, and we're to proclaim God's goodness that leads to repentance in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. You know the bride of Christ is being purified for the bridegroom. So you know what we do? We keep in step with him as we look to be holy as he who has called you is holy. In 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 15. You know God has commissioned us to be His hands and His feet to show the love to a lost world. So you know what we got to do? We have to keep in step with Him and live out the gospel so the world will see the reality of God's love. So men will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. He has intentionally made it simple for us. Not easy, Simple. He's made it simple for us to follow where his steps are, to, to what he's doing and where he's going. He has intentionally made it simple for us, for simple for us to keep in step with his movements. But we act, so there's this game. I've seen this game and I've played this game. This game that you play where you have two people facing each other 
and then one person points in a particular direction, and the object of the other person is to point in a direction that they are not pointing to. So if they're pointing down, a person can look to their right. If they point to their left, a person could look up. If they point up, they can point down. And, and as soon as you point in the same direction somebody's, look, somebody's looking, then you get a point. You, you, you won. What's crazy is this. We live our Christian lives like that. Deliberately. When the Spirit points left, we deliberately look up. When the Spirit points down, we look to the right. We deliberately go out of our way to look in a different direction that the Spirit's pointing us to. Instead, the Spirit wants us to point with Him. That when He points left, I look that way. When He points down, I look down. When He points up, I look up. That's what we're doing. But we intentionally play the other way around. Where we deliberately try to go against or go in direct contradiction to where the Spirit wants to take us. And we're the ones, that's it, we're the ones that miss out. We're the ones that end up, end up lacking in our Christian lives. That's why we get frustrated. That's why we get discontent. That's why we find it hard. Because we're not looking the way the Spirit wants us to look. He wants us to be in step with Him. And the simplicity that He's made available to us to do so is absolutely amazing. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His people. He's given us His Word. He's given us His leading. He's given us all that we need to live in godliness. He's given us all that. And we still try to look the wrong way. So, we have, we have, God in His grace has told us where He is going in His Word. God in His grace has granted us the capacity and the ability to be able to follow Him by His Spirit. God has, in His grace, given us His support to do so with His church. So then, let's get our, for want of a better phrase, let's get our step on. Let's get our step on by responding to that call to live freely the freedom that was purchased by His blood, to walk in His Spirit that sets us apart and sanctifies us, and to keep in step with the Spirit as He leads us by His divine hand. May you and I be sensitive to the calling placed on our lives as we walk in the Spirit and keep in the Spirit that when he goes, we will follow. And with that, brothers and sisters, I want us to close in prayer. I want us to spend a few moments. I want you to pray. I want you and I to pray and ask God to reveal to you and to me where we are deliberately trying to misstep or to step out of place with the Spirit what sin there might be in our lives that prevents us from experiencing the, the fullness of that life in Him. That we, that we have the Spirit's presence within us and that we aren't living a false Christian life. This is what we need to do even now and ask God to open our eyes to see what He is doing in everything that's taking place in our lives today. I'll give a few moments of silence and then I'll close in prayer.
because of people humbled and in need of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, and of your love, of your understanding, and your truth. We need you, Lord, to show us as individuals and us as a church where we have failed you, where we have sought to be in step with our own will instead of in step with your spirit. And I pray that by your grace, you reveal to us where we have gone wrong. I thank you so much for your word that promises that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we do so now. We confess before you our own, our own independence. We confess to you our own pride, our own arrogance. We confess to you our own self-dependence. Father, I pray for those who are here who don't know you. And I pray, Lord, that you will make known to them the greatness of your love and, and by your grace reveal to them the, the gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And that you will lead them to repent of such sins. That you will help them to develop and to, to develop a relationship with you, to trust in you for the forgiveness of sin and being born again of your spirit, enter into the family of God. For us who are Christians as well, who do know you, I pray that you will help us to do away with the apathy, do away with the comfort, do away with the, just the relaxed, relaxed attitude we can have sometimes toward the things of you. And, and Father, we repent of such things too. I repent of those things in my own life. And that by your grace, you will encourage our hearts as we seek to respond to the calling to be free, as we seek to walk in the Spirit so we will not fulfill or gratify the desire of the, of the flesh and that we will keep in step with the Spirit, following your lead, heeding your direction, being swept up by your sufficiency. Father, we ask for that miracle to take place in each of our hearts right now so that we can be a pure, chaste bride that is prepared and ready for your coming. We ask for you to dismiss us now, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.